0: circle podcast on Hacker Public Radio. In this episode of Camp Eleven Discussion Panel Hello World and welcome to the Full Circle Podcast on Hacker Public Radio. This is the third of our highlights. Of last summer's unconference, OG Camp 11, held at the Farnham Maltings in the south of England.
1: The Full Circle Podcast is the companion to Full Circle Magazine, the independent magazine for the Ubuntu community. Find us at fullcirclemagazine.org forward slash podcast.
0: Introducing the ogcamp 11 panel discussion. On the panel we have Dan Lynch of Linux Outlaws, our chairman. Karen Sandler of the Gnome Foundation and ex of the Freedom Software Law Center. Simon Phipps of ForgeRock and the Open Software Initiative. Stuart Ack-Langridge from Canonical's Ubuntu One team and ex-Lug Radio presenter. And finally, Fabian Scherschel presenter of Linux Outlaws. Like every good panel discussion, this all begins with questions from the floor.
2: All right, so um, I've done the ultimate lazy thing of deciding to try and get user-generated content, which you know relies on you guys a lot. Um, so we've got a fabulous panel of people here, and I've got some ideas of topics that we can discuss and stuff, but we really want you guys to Ask questions, you know, how often do you get a chance to ask these people questions and so on, and we can discuss them and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, let me introduce you to the panel. So, to my left here, we have Karen Sandler, who did a great talk earlier. Um, she's the executive director of the GNOME Foundation and a former lawyer. Are you still a lawyer? I'm still a lawyer. Oh, sorry, just no, no. talking to the mic a bit. I'm, I'm still a lawyer.
1: I'm, sorry. I'm still doing pro bono work with the Software Freedom Law Center and okay. some for the Software Freedom Conservancy. and. I'm General Counsel of Question
2: Copyright and Still. Wow, okay, so legal questions for Karen then. Don't um, <laughs> ask legal
1: questions, they're always really boring.
2: <laughs> right. As you will have to say this is not legal advice. This is. does not constitute legal I don't, advice. I don't think
3: she
2: has to in this country. No, well, no, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> okay, so obviously, you have you probably all saw Simon's talk before. So we've got Simon Fitch from OSI. Um, we've also got Mr. Stuart Langridge from Canonical. Um, I believe you're working on Ubuntu 1 and all that mostly. Yeah. Uh, and some guy on the end who does a podcast or something. Um, I don't know who he is, but he seems to have worked his way up. But yeah, we've got fab as well. So um, if anybody's got any questions as we go, please chip in, because otherwise I'm just going to be sat here going, um, So the first kind of topic that I wanted to discuss, and I've, I've asked the guys about this because I knew it could be a bit controversial and stuff, but I should also point out these people are representing themselves and not their companies and so on. So before Ash gets in trouble or anything like this. Not that you need my help to get in trouble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got make that clear. But um, yeah, something I wanted to kind of talk about is the future of the desktop, I suppose. I know it sounds like an old subject and stuff, but the future of the Linux desktop, as I see it. Because obviously we've got GNOME 3 just come out, um, and that's kind of that's developing. Sure. Perhaps wearing a GNOME 3 shirt. Um, yeah, and we've got, um, well, KE4 still going strong. We've got all these other options and stuff. Um, but I want to try to get people's idea, uh, opinions. I mean, Simon talked earlier about... Um, making compromises and so on, yep. and um, using the Mac and stuff. So I want to ask you a little bit about what you feel is better, maybe, about the Mac interface and stuff like that. So, I don't know. Is that, no, it, it's not, that's not actually relevant to the issue, to be honest
3: with you. Well, fair enough.
2: <coughs> um, that's, that's a good point. I can see yeah. I'm in trouble here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Should've got a lasso. Really go <laughs> for the cowboy metaphor. Um, yeah, alright, so let's kick this off with... Um, I don't know, I'm going to pick on Karen, I apologise, but... What, what do you think the future of the next is? Obviously, GNOME Three, in
1: yeah, okay. yeah, I mean, I, well, it's one of the know Three is one of the reasons why I decided to go over to GNOME. So I've only been at the GNOME Foundation for like a little bit over a month now. So it's all still pretty new for me. But one of the reasons why I found the job so appealing is that GNOME Three is is really a, a departure and something new. And um, you know, I, I think that with a redesign like GNOME Three has, you know, we can really reach a lot more people. I mean, it's it's still early days, but you can sort of see going forward where this is going. And I think that, that's really amazing.
2: I mean, do you think in some ways that um, obviously GNOME 3, as you say, it's a big change. Um, and we had all the kind of teeth and troubles with KD4. Do you think that's happening a little bit with GNOME 3 now? You kind of well, feel I mean, your way I mean, into it? Well, uh, I what
1: Linus has been saying. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know I, th- I think there will be any time that you do something different, When you make a departure, you try something new, you're going to, you you can't make everybody happy all the time, and since GNOME 3 is new, it's going to take some time for people to get used to, and some people are going to decide not to use it. Um, I hope that uh, more people do decide to use it, and uh, you know, I think part of the point of the GNOME 3 redesign was to reach less technical users, Um, although I do know a lot of highly technical users have been happy with GNOME you know, 3. We were just talk- I was just talking to Fab about this. I like, okay. an interview, but he's a like, GNOME you know, 3. I hope you're not
4: implying that I'm highly technical. Uh, that's true. <laughs>
1: But no, I know I know a bunch of hackers who are really using three you know, for development, so um, I think that's that's pretty cool. Uh, but as I said, you know some things are still new; there are still kinks to work out. And I think even with that being said, we're going to be in a similar situation where some. I mean, I think uh, Linus moved to GNOME after he was frustrated with KDE. So I think I think this is one of the things that we're just going to see and we're going to have to live with and hope that we can improve and learn from. <laughs> Okay, so I mean that, that sounds to me like
2: it's one of the great things. I think it's kind of like a double-edged sword. We have a lot of choices, but at the same time, does that divide the you know, development and, and the resources and stuff? I don't know. Simon, what's your
3: favorite Linux desktop, and what do you think about it? Um, at the moment, I'm in love with uh, with my Honeycomb tablet. Okay. So uh, I think the future of the Linux desktop is the, is the tablet. Wow. Future of Linux tablet. <laughs> uh, I, 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 you know, it's it's, it's interesting here. Um, I think that Linux has had its chance to be on the desktop, and uh, it's done a damn good job of being on the desktop for a lot of people, but unfortunately the desktop is going away. So uh, Linux may well well become even more popular on the desktop, Mm -hmm. but uh, by percentage the number of people using a desktop is going to go way down, and most people will be interacting with Linux through some other interface.
1: How many? How much of an interactive panel do you want this to be? Are you interviewing yeah, it goes, us yeah, yeah. or all, is yeah. like as much as possible? Manner
0: and manner. Yeah. i was gonna
1: say that I agree with you that the way that we're computing has changed. Has changed, but I think that it's uh, very sensational to say that the desktop is going away. Yeah. I think anyone who needs to generate content of any kind or wants to sit in for a, a really long amount of computer use, where um, you know, I I, I think will want to sit in a in a comfortable seat with a big screen and. Um, you know, a comfortable, uh, you know, a keyboard or some other way of inputting. And I I think that that it's a little bit sensational to say the desktop. I mean, it's changing, and the way that we, our devices interact with each other and and maybe we're going towards modular things. But I still think the desktop is is an important and long-term...
3: Well, maybe, but we're in a really exciting time where there's there's more choice than just um, things that are designed to be really complicated desktop systems. So we've got Chrome OS coming, where your desktop is going to be a browser. We've got uh, Honeycomb, where your desktop is, a, is a, a a haptic surface. We've got Katie and you GNOME know, busy doing the traditional stuff. We've got Microsoft failing to innovate in it at all. We've got um, Apple on the verge of telling, turning actively evil. There's all, this, you know, there's, there's, there's all this, there's all this, all this, all this new stuff happening. That on there. And I think that the viewing, believing that the future of the desktop has got to be like the history of the desktop, I think, is the is mm-hmm. the problem. Because I think there's going to be a whole lot of people whose only experience of a computer is going to be through a Chrome browser soon. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a whole lot of people whose only experience of a computer is going to be through a haptic um, tablet. A tablet screen that's this big, and probably has got a keyboard you can actually associate with it when you need it. And I think that all of these options, and the thing that really excites me about them is so many of them have got free software uh, underneath them or within them, and the software pr- freedom is preserved for the user. user. <laughs> uh, I think that is what's fantastic about what's going on. Mm. I'm conscious I don't want to leave the other guys out. So, yes. So, uh, Mac, um,
2: what what's your feelings on the future of the Linux the interface? It,
5: it, it's interesting what Simon says that uh, the idea of software freedom is best embodied by turning my computer into a dumb terminal and having Google own all of my data.
3: Thanks a lot for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, what exactly is a good one?
5: It's not being to say that software freedom is the defining characteristic of this thing. The other thing that I think is interesting is when you say Microsoft haven't innovated in any way, it's me defending Microsoft. Really yeah. Um,
3: <laughs> um, I've used Windows Phone That 5. might have been hyperbolic, I don't ever you it. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the okay. last bit of that was right, I think.
5: Um, it's... <laughs> <laughs> it? Watch people catch up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I've used Windows Phone 7, and I think it's quite good. Now, I have no intention of using it on a phone because it requires the rest of the Microsoft stack, which I don't have. It requires me to have an exchange server, I can't write software for it on Ubuntu, whatever. Not interesting. But what they've actually done, which I thought was interesting, is genuinely innovative. Android, much as I use it every day, and Honeycomb's good and everything, it's it's hard to make the case that it's not a flake rip off of iOS. Windows Phone 7 is genuinely different. I think it's genuinely innovative. No one gives a sh** it. <laughs> <But, laughs> They've actually actually sat there and gone, let's build a great phone system. No no one's going to use it because they've missed the boat. But Microsoft are now in the position that we've always been in, that we can come up with innovations but nobody listens. (laughs) What I think is interesting is when we talk about the future of the free desktop or the future of the Linux desktop or whatever, the problem is not doing technical innovation because
3: we're actually quite good at that. The problem is how we get people to pay attention. Uh, and I think that's the that's critical question to ask, because I, I think that, I'm, you know, I, I interviewed the guys who are working on WebOS for Hewlett Packard when I was over at Oskar last week, mm. and they've got some fantastic technology, I mean, it. WebOS is mm. awesome, you know, it's like HTML desktop, they're using Node.js for system services, you can write system applications in JavaScript, the thing is, awesome. Mm. But the problem they've got is that to get to market, they've got to leverage some sort of ecosystem, and they've decided they're going to be the only, so, whoo! Cool. Goodbye, WebOS. Um, and, and this is the problem that, that, that I think we've got to face when it comes to the software freedom dimension, which is we've got all the people in this room persuaded. We haven't got all the rest of their families persuaded. And we haven't worked out how we're going to do that yet.
2: Uh, sorry. Um, I, I was going to give Fab a chance to talk, but um, I'm just going to quickly really throw Andy He's got. Yeah, well, OK. Well, I'm sure that won't last too long. Um, sorry, mate. I'll give just a second. Andy wants to make a point about something. Yeah, so. If you've got a point, by the way, and you want to say it, just shoot Simon. your hand up and someone will bring you a mic eventually. Hello, I've got my mic yes. I think
0: that's all. I might be wrong. Anyway, so um, a couple of interesting things. I was, I was just stunned
3: by some of the things and I was attempting to tweet them. But there some connectivity issues. So, Simon, to say that Microsoft isn't innovative at all is just bizarre when they're the only company with Kinect. And, and Windows Phone 7, his, Which, and Simon I, says... I think the they
4: are, right? They bought a company which was innovating yeah. and now they have Connect.
3: Yeah,
0: so but there's some amazing things that could happen out of those kind of technologies. Um, Stuart was mentioning Google and you know making the desktop a dumb terminal, having everything
3: in the cloud. Well, you know, okay you could do personal clouds at home, but then you come back to the Web OS, well that's exactly what I mean HTML five desktop. You've still got stuff in the web, you know, on the cloud, even the in the interweb somewhere. So I just find some of the, the viewpoints
5: that I'm hearing can't quite. I, I should be clear I think storing stuff in the cloud is brilliant. Just to be <laughs> clear about
2: this,
5: I think it's a great idea. I, I don't have a problem with it at all. I just find it interesting to hear Simon talk about software freedom and storing everything on someone else's servers in the same breath.
3: So we've got a challenge of working on what software freedom means in the cloud, I think. And that, the, the, the great question is, um, how are we going to project those principles into the cloud? And I think the, the answer has got to have a lot to do with federated software. Uh, I don't think there's any problem with the cloud. What I have a problem with is uh, all of my identity and data being under the control of somebody whose only relationship with me is a terms of service I don't have the time to read. And uh, I I think that that I'm very keen to get off, I don't want to get off Google, what I want to do is I want to get on something that's federated with Google, so that on the days they're evil, which is alternate Tuesdays, um, I I can flick a switch and I'm using my federated service instead of their centralized service. That's, That's where I think, the sort of place I think we've got to go to. Okay, so, Fabio, email. I'm, I'm asking it. myself,
4: I'm, I'm really
3: scared, and this is interesting, because I
4: love Android, I've been an Android user for a long time, I'm really scared that if the desktop's dead, and Android is our future on computers, Android is barely free software, and in some cases, as in cases of Honeycomb, it's not even open-source, yet, apparently. I don't know, that, that kind of really scares me. Um, if the desktop I think if the desktop is dead um, we have lost because I think it's awesome to, to talk about yeah when federated cloud services but the reality is all these companies they have no interest in doing that Google has no interest whatsoever in federating with anybody because they make they make their money from owning all of your data
1: well, I think it's kind of comparable to the, the argument that DRM, that going without DRM was not in the interest of any companies but because music buyers and the public were choosing to go with server you know with services that didn't have DRM, then you know Apple had to you know, the, the key DRM users had to shift away from it. That we as consumers really yeah. have a lot of say in this if we act with our money. Well, I, I don't think
3: actually that Google wants to have all your data. I think they just want to have handled it once. Which is what yeah. the data portability stuff is yeah. about that
5: they working the mm-hmm. on. Yeah. sure you can get your data in and out of Google's yeah, that was probably yeah. I mean I
4: use Google for just about everything. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm very vocal on saying I'm not really scared about it because I'm, I don't think Google wants my data. They want an aggregate of all our data. They don't want to sell me specifically. I mean, they're not like sending me emails. Hey, Thad, um you like ads, when do you, you want to buy this hand, right? They, they try to get aggregate stuff. But that's just as long as they're doing that. I mean, at the point where they have my data, they could decide tomorrow or next
2: Tuesday that they leave you. Yeah, okay, right. We've got a couple of points from the crowd here. So we've got a gentleman here.
5: Hey, um, I'm another one that doesn't think my desktop's dead just yet. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I do worry a bit about is the kind of death by dog food. You know I'm saying We're all using these kind of,
3: I'm using Unity, Gnome 3. They're making use of a lot of metadata that we're putting in, and it's gaining history over time and making things a lot more relevant, which is awesome for
5: us. But when my girlfriend uses it for the first time, it doesn't have a metadata, it doesn't have a history, and everything really hard to discover. I mean, how do we address that? Because when she goes in and starts looking to see what apps are there, it's a really complicated process. once
0: you back the
2: next day, i she can see if OK, so the, the question in there seems to be how do we address that, which is a hell of a question. So who wants to try and tackle that one? I'm going to pick on someone if you don't want to. I, I, think, I think we can do that. I, I think EC can do that. I think uh, the cloud is actually
4: the answer to that. Yes. Um, at the point where we where we get the free cloud, where we, where we are in control of our data, we can put this data in, in the cloud and then share that out, like if we get a new machine, um, you know,
0: and do that.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. Actually, it, it isn't. That my concern isn't that we can make that happen, because I think Google can already do a really good job of solving that problem for you, because they've been watching your girlfriend for quite some time now. And uh, they know quite a lot about it. Um, the are moving in, aren't the uh, girlfriend. The, 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 they know sort of, my wife pretty well as well. Oh, right. wow, okay. uh, the, 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 the problem isn't that, the problem is uh, what you do when you don't want them to <clears throat> to, to know what you're doing. Uh, you know, all these old fashioned technologies that aren't aware of the people who are using them, they're going, they're going to go away. We'll only be using technologies that are aware of the context in which they're performing fairly soon. Mm-hmm. And the question is who's going to provide that context and on what terms? And I think that's, that's the reason why Google wants to touch all your data as it passes through their servers. They, they don't want to own it. They just want to have uh, been loaned it for a few moments. And uh, the real question is, what are they going to do with that experience? And are you going to get to decide uh, what they use it for? That's the real concern about all the metadata. But that's exactly
5: the point. You come back to the fact that I want things to be personal to me. I don't want to use a system which... Is identical for everybody. I want it to adapt to what I do, to work with what I think, to work exactly the way I want. And to be honest with you, I'm quite happy to outsource working all that stuff out to someone else because I can't be bothered. Right. So, as some people I not like that. Some people will absolutely think, no, 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 I don't, I don't want any third party. I don't want any company making those decisions for me. I want to make it all myself. I'm prepared for it to be harder for me. I'm prepared for there to be less customization. I'm prepared to have to do more setting up. I'm prepared to have to tweak things myself. And that's fine. You're absolutely at liberty to do that. We want to avoid a situation where you are unable to make that choice, but I think we're doing a reasonable job of avoiding that. I don't. I, no one's obliged to use Google. I, everyone chooses to because it's
1: good. But well, I, I think people don't really realize that there's a connection between targeted advertising and an integrated experience and surveillance. And I think we started to talk about it more. And I know that this is one of the things that Mozilla is trying to do with being you on know, track. And there have been government issues in the United States and elsewhere about trying to raise you know awareness about this. But I, for me, the most important thing is to make these choices very clear and very active as soon yeah. as you start using anything, and making it clear and ongoing. Because right now, you know, I I don't see ads, so you know, I, I don't really, but. Those people tell me that they want to see ads, and not only do they want to see ads, they want to see really targeted ads. And mm-hmm. To me, that's crazy, but they never think about the implications of society. They never think about the fact that if we do facial recognition, for example, and you know, train our photos and train Facebook, then you know, we're going to be able to publish a, 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 a picture of a protest and have the government be able to identify everyone who's there. You know, I mean, it's, it's very easy to draw those connections, but it's not something we're thinking about, and we don't have choices right from the beginning.
3: Yeah. It's all about building up a fabric of trust as well. So most of us have got an experience of Google that means that we've got a a, a fabric of trust that means we don't think they're going to abuse the data they've got. Whereas uh, yesterday on Facebook, I found that by agreeing to have it sync contacts, which I thought meant add my friend's phone numbers to my address book on my phone, Facebook were actually sucking my entire contact list out of my phone and storing it on Facebook for future use. Mm. Uh, Now, um, that means that I've got a very uh, very, uh, fragmented fabric of trust with Facebook. Which is a whole lot worse than it was before, and I think that, that that overall the key here is the transparency by the service provider and the the ability for us to make conscious choices. I think that uh, the big threat is unconscious choices or choices that are made for us. I think it's exactly the same discussion that Karen and I were having after I did my talk. Okay, I'm I'm going to cut in because I'm very good at bringing people in
2: here. So um, <laughs> we have got a gentleman there with the with the mic to say something. You no. can change the topic as well, by the way. We don't have to keep discussing Google. Um, so, so this was from a little bit earlier in the conversation.
6: Um, the cloud is surely less of an issue for software freedom, and more of an issue for data freedom, which we've touched on with data portability. I don't want Google software. I want my data so I can stick it into Amazon software or my own. Um, and
5: don't we need principles for data freedom as well as software freedom? Are they different? Well,
4: if, if you have software freedom in the cloud, if, if you have an AGPL piece of software, that you can run yourself. I think the point is that you have to choice um, then
3: to run it yourself.
4: I think it, it comes with- As
3: long as you have Google's data center.
5: That, that doesn't buy you well. anything. That's completely <laughs> useless to you. The fact that I can say, okay, I can store my data- Don't make
2: on between you two. On,
5: on Google.com, <laughs> or I can run their software on my own server, it still doesn't mean I've got
3: data portability at all. But at least you know what they do the data. We'll get to the top one. We know how to That's. <laughs> yeah. That's. Well, okay, that, That's okay. actually part of the battle, I think, is knowing how to But I disagree that, 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 that that's actually the answer. I'm afraid.
2: Okay, and so we, to we've to got um, a gentleman in the red shirt. Want to make yeah, sense. I'm going to go back to a comment we made earlier on about mm-hmm. the fear of Android. And I think that that's absolutely the problem. with That is where it's going. And open source wants to get into that space and we don't have that fear. And, and the whole. So if we allow that to be owned by the um, proprietary vendors So, as I say, if anyone's got any more comments, I think someone there, uh, just up the stairs. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, it's all a bit of a free-for-all. Um, so, as I said, if you've got any other topics you want to discuss as well, but I don't feel free to bring them. It doesn't have to be free software related. Um, okay, here we go. So, if the desktop is dying, we're all going to tablets. How many of you reckon that Intel will be dead outside the server room in a few years? Hmm, interesting question. Well, how many of us here have got tablets? I mean, Simon's got one. Um, Fab, you've got one now. I haven't got one. I can't afford one. Have you got a tablet, tablet? computer? have a tablet? No. So, there you go. So, the majority of the people on this stage have not got a tablet. Um, I don't I don't have the yeah, how many people in the audience have got, tablets? Okay, you so he's my my
3: got a tablet so keep in mind that i got a
4: tablet. I't follow that guy on um, No, I didn't say that. I, didn't say that. I, don't think, um, I don't think it's the answer. I have a tablet, and it's it's not the answer. Like un- unless they invent some kind of glass that
3: that's yeah. not affected by finger smudges. <laughs> the the place where it's important is that what the tablet does it means you've you you've probably got two devices in your life, mm-hmm. and you're no longer satisfied with your data only being on one of them because you probably want whichever device happens to be the one in front of you to be the one that knows about you and can help you. And I think that's the, the radical difference that, t- that having tablets makes, and that this was the huge difference that the iPad made for a lot of people, was they suddenly discovered that the computer with the chair in front of it and the mouse wasn't the only place they could do stuff. Mm. And that, that was a, 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 an awakening that just changed the way that things were going to work. So I think that, the, that it isn't about doing everything on the tablet, it's about that once you realize that tablets are actually not just something for your kids to draw on and chalk, mm-hmm. you, re- you discover a world where the desktop isn't the only thing you're going to use. And then you begin to ask questions about, well, what else could I do somewhere other than in that chair, in an yeah. office? And, and that's the revolution that happens. But the thing is, you don't have to
2: use uh, proprietary service to have you know cloud storage. I mean, there are other things. I know they're not really up to speed at the moment, but there are things like Sparkle Share that have got promise. But at the same time, there seems to be about ten different projects all competing to be the same thing. And I know I might have some feelings on this because you've kind of competed in the same field. Um, they're all trying to make an Android app. They're all trying to make an iPhone app. They're all trying to be everywhere and do everything. But are they going to succeed when you've got someone like Google who have already got all of this space, you've got Amazon who are massive in this space as well. People know those names, will they give someone else a try? I'm going to aim this at Apple and I know you're in this field. Uh, okay, <laughs> uh, I,
5: I, I, I can talk a little bit about the cloud stuff, but speaking as <laughs> someone who works for Bootsy One and is therefore a <laughs> in these things, I mean, I think the that stuff are great. Um, what, what worries me, a more general point there, is precisely that there are 10 in the same way that there are 10 video and so on. And a bunch of people will say, no, no, because that's because it's about choice and it's important. But equally, what we end up with is everything being unfinished. And this, to my mind, plays back into a word Simon used earlier, which is trust. Um, one of the things I don't like, looking at things like uh, the Gnome 3 shell launch, um, you had a bunch of people complaining bitterly about how stuff had changed and it wasn't right. Uh, we had exactly the same thing with Unity. Um, and you get a lot of a lot of that it's it's about trusting the Gnome you know, development, it's about trusting the Ubuntu team to do things right. And we don't have that. We don't have that sense of trust. Everyone seems to think that no no they know better than the people who are actually doing this. And what it means is we end up eating our own yuck. You know. Um, we've got uh, there's an example has got uh, Jonathan Blow, I think his name is Cody Bright. Is that his name? Yeah, um, he professional game about right? decided he was going to port brave to Linux. And so posted on his website saying, um, I want to do this, um, but I've never used Linux before, so I need, to, I need to know how to do a bunch of simple game things. Like, how do I change the mouse acceleration? How do I trap the mouse in a box? How do I play one sound and then play another sound on top of it at the same time and mix them up and down? Just simple stuff that you need to write a game. And he got 342 different answers. From people saying, you need to use OpenAL, no, you need to use ALSA, no, you need, you need to use OSS4. And everyone hated everyone else and denigrated all of the other answers. And in the end, he said, you know what, the hell with this. If you guys can't get it together and come up with an answer, why the hell should we pay attention? And I think a lot of that's because we don't trust the people who are doing something to do it right. Everyone's, I think, I know better,
2: I'll do a different one. Mm. Yep. Yeah, but at the same time, mm-hmm. that's the freedom that we have in being yeah. able to do that. I mean, the alternative is what everybody used DirectX or something, and that no, is the, the way the, we go. The alternative
4: do is Apple, where you have a lot of users that absolutely, totally trust Steve Jobs, love everything he do, he does, and just you know, just just love that. And I, I you know, as somebody who doesn't, I hate that,
5: which is fine. But then, okay, so the the question then becomes: Is it possible? Is it reasonable for... Um, this massive variety of unfinished stuff, we have the choice to choose any of these unfinished things is actually going to get us the success that we'd like. I think I'm not sure about that maybe, maybe not, but it's quite possible to think, okay, perhaps the future of Linux is us. We're not going to get into the mainstream because we think choice is more important. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. maybe that's something else.
4: I agree with you. I, I think I I've changed, I've changed my mind on that. quite over over <laughs> the years, I think you're, you're probably right. I think Linux is probably not the future. of Everybody, every user on the desktop, and I actually think we should embrace that. And we would be better in some ways if we figured out that we don't get anybody, we don't get all of all the people
6: to use it. But I
1: think I mean just going back to my talk from earlier. I think we as like a society. Are going to be kind of screwed if we don't move towards free and open source software solutions and free and open platforms because this is all like life and society clinical stuff it's not like i mean this this is basically how we're, we're living our lives and how we're doing it together so while i think that you know it's right that to some extent we as technically oriented people are going to be the ones driving this stuff forward i think it would be a mistake if we just said we should embrace that and Limit ourselves and not look to the outside, not look to, to everyone. I mean, if, what, that's one of the things Canonical is trying to do. To do is bring um, you know, GNU/Linux more to the everyday person, yeah. and I, I really support that. But I would actually say that one of the ways that we can handle this trust issue is to focus a lot on nonprofit development. You know, help. I mean, I'm coming from GNOME, so I'm a little biased, but I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm dedicated. I, 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 considerably less money now than I did in the private sector, and it's well worth it because I'm working on something I care about, and if we all kind of work together, it's a way to bring disparate companies into one decision-making body, and I think that's really valuable. (laughs) Uh, This
6: is just a comment to to the point where the discussion has reached right now, when uh, somebody mentioned the word success, and it dawned on me that, well, do you absolutely want freedom of choice, or cost, or success. The two are not necessarily in automatic and all the time compatible, so you have to decide w- which way you're going. Um, mm-hmm. An absolute compromise between the two is not necessarily always possible. So it depends what your, is your main priority. Uh, coming back to the cloud discussion earlier on, I have to say that I am seriously concerned by the fact that a lot of open source people and, and freedom sort of advocates seem to be embracing the current cloud movement um, quite wholeheartedly without what I feel is enough questioning of the openness of uh, the entire concept. Very few people seem to be asking, well, um, am I allowed to, um, can I write an application, client application which will talk to such and such cloud services? Well, no, because actually they use, in most uh, circumstances, a proprietary protocol which we don't know about and we don't understand. And they won't really let you write software that just plugs the different uh, uh, cloud services. So as far as I'm concerned, really at protocol level and the data format level there's a massive amount of incompatibility and closeness about it, which I think should be really concerning. Yeah, so I, I mean, so this, this
2: brings uh, yeah, this brings up a question in my mind and I'm gonna spring this about on that. Can I write a client for Ubuntu one myself? Yes. Yeah, and it's all absolutely. documented. A- absolutely, you can. Yeah. There,
5: are, there, yeah. are, there are two bits to Ubuntu um, one, data and files. Uh, the data stuff is all CouchDB, um, uh, Apache project already exists. Um, mm. Perfectly reasonable thing to use. Mm. Um, the file stuff we use a binary protocol to talk to our file servers just because it's quicker. Basically, mm. it's essentially it's essentially compression, but it's all documented and the clients are all open source.
1: We are um, a yeah. fine source, but
5: the server end isn't. There, isn't Correct. It?
2: Okay. Um, so sorry, I just wanted to kind of yeah. clarify that a little bit. So um, I think Alistair, you had your hand up quite yeah, hard, a lot as well. So we need there. to kind of yeah get more. Because so if you've got any other topics and stuff as well, really you're pretty much so far away.
6: We were just trying to define success uh, for Linux and open source systems.
2: Um, my definition of success is it works for me. Um, and I don't really mind too much how many other people use it, as long as it it works for me. And so I think that's how we should define our success. Um, The other thing I wanted to bring up is this whole idea of how do we get it onto more people's standard everyday machine? Is it
3: just that we're being too nice about it? Shouldn't we be getting a bit more in people's face (laughs) about the ideals? Okay, Um, Computer Liberation Front. We're here to liberate your computer.
1: Power to the people. This is part of why I realized that I had to start talking about my heart condition, even though it's not something that I would have typically wanted to have said in a public place that I have a heart defect. But I think thinking about the fact that my life counts on the software. That it's not being reviewed and that I can't even see the software that's in my body sort of like takes these issues to an emotional place, but also, you know, one of those critical places. And I think that discussions like this about why are we going to count on our our software so that we can see it in those situations, you know, in the United States when we had problems with the default voting machines, you know, when you start to see how we count on our software, you sort of understand why it needs to be safer and why it needs to be reviewed. And software freedom is an essential component of that. So I actually think really real strong bit of advocacy here and everybody in this room who's here because they care about these issues needs to start talking about it and and so I think we should get in people's spaces, but not necessarily in an aggressive negative way just in a we want our software to be safe and we should start choosing solutions that are okay I think
2: wants the yeah I want to come back to a point that was made earlier about whether this is for us or for everyone for you know nerds or or just the average person and it alarms me, the the idea that that, the free software should be just for the enlightened like us. My four-year-old son uses free software, he uses Tux Paint, he absolutely loves it. He can print something and use up all the ink in my printer, very capable, using Linux. And I would not want him to be deprived from uh, having the opportunity to use free software. And if we only went down the road of nerds only, everyone else can kick it out, then I don't want to be a part of it. Which is it? Mm-hmm. Exactly how I feel I mean, my, my dad, Ubuntu, I know your mum does. No, I <laughs> no, no, no.
5: And, yeah, my dad's absolutely fine with it. Loves it to bits, doesn't have a problem with it. I don't want it to be just for us, either. But then that comes exactly back to the point that if the notion of freedom of choice being the all-Trumping most important thing is limiting it to just us? Then how much of that, if any, are we prepared to sacrifice in order that my dad can use it? Some people may say, "I'm prepared to sacrifice anything and if that means that only nerds use Linux." I'm fine with that.
4: I don't think it's a it's a nerd geek other people issue. I think when I said we have to uh, we have to figure out that we can't get everybody to use it. What I mean is, for example, my parents technical level about the same for both of them. My father uses Windows, my mother uses Fedora, actually. Um, and my father just, father just doesn't use um, Linux because he doesn't care. Like, people have different, um, people care about different things. There are people who don't care about freedom of choice. And there are people who don't care about their data being free and other people do. And they don't have, necessarily have to be geeks. Um, they're just non-geeks that care about um, pretty heavily correlated. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't really think so. Like, for example, my, my mother, she, she's much like me. If you give her a match, it, it, it would drive her insane that you can't drag the, the, the bar at the top somewhere else or that, that she, doesn't, she can't change stuff. And she's not a geek. She just wants to have control over
2: how she uses her computer. Okay, so we got another point there.
4: Just
6: to go back to the uh, the success or failure question, one of the things was mentioned earlier was that the desktop may go away and be replaced by a nice big screen with a keyboard that you can pair up optionally, and you can sit in front of your big screen and use that. Why will that work this time? Because I've got a couple of web TV boxes sitting up in my loft and it didn't work when everybody's applications were on the cloud. I've got a Prestel box, and it didn't work when everybody's applications were going to be on the node 20 years ago. Why is it going to be different this time, around?
2: Well, wow, okay. Who wants to tackle that one? Why is it going to be different this time? Go on then. Um, I don't think that the, the problem is that it didn't
5: work last time. We tend to swing from um, centralizing everything for efficiency, and then someone says, no, we should decentralize it because it's cool, and then people say, but there's a benefit to centralizing. So, you have mainframes, which had nothing but dumb terminals, and everyone went, I'll tell you what we actually want to do. We want people to run uh, applications on a computer, on their desk, and then try move everything back to the web again. So, it's just, every time you're in one of these positions, using centralized apps, you can see the benefits of decentralization. So. Uh, we, we, we went through a stage of lots of stuff being on the web and now we're starting to see processing getting pushed out to your browser again. This is what a lot of the stuff in HTML5 is about, about allowing work to happen out of the dumb terminal level. And I'm sure five or six years from now someone will come up with some new down-centralised thing and we'll all start flocking to that again. It's, it's just the way the industry works. I don't think those things failed so much as
3: they were overtaken by a new paradigm. You know, it's, it's... Okay, I think Simon... So uh, like and, the you know, the press, there was Prestel and there was Web TV. So this is the third time. Yeah, they, you know things succeed the third time right? <laughs> third time I'm um, not sure it's been to I'm watching the mics move, so I'm afraid. There is
2: actually an
3: interesting effect that we discovered, which is we, once something has gone really wrong publicly a couple of times, the people who attempt it the next time learn from those mistakes. Uh, I think what we're going to see this time is not so much a dedicated big screen whose only role in life is to sit there being, being the place that the big eye looks at you from, but rather that uh, one of your alternatives is going to be to plug something or connect to something so that the, uh, the environment that you're using is now shareable with lots of people or is on a bigger screen. I'm already kind of in that space, you know, I've got a really big screen on my desk, I have a tiny little screen in the bag down here, and I've got all the same on because I'm using free software and because I'm using um, uh, web hosted services to hold the data. And I think that's the reason it's going to work this time, is that it isn't just about being the one big screen, it's about being part of an environment where there's shared data that's a compromise between centralised and localised. Okay. Yeah, the Presto cool. was a pretty successful But yeah, I like, my, awesome. I, I like
0: my Presto. I, my, my, and was coming. <laughs> Og Camp is a joint venture organised by those lovely podcasters from the Linux Outlaws and Ubuntu UK podcast. <laughs> With more highlights of Og Camp coming up on the Full Circle podcast very soon including Andy Piper and Laura Tchaikovsky. For now, I'm Robin Catling. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.
3: HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binref.com. All binref projects are proudly sponsored by LunarPages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution
0: Share Alike 3.0 license.